Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. Father, we thank you today for this wonderful day. Father, I pray that you'd bless Amy and the boys as they do Sunday school today. Minister to them and give them, give them the wherewithal to listen and learn and anoint Amy to teach. And Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Boys, may we dismissed to Sunday school. All right. Today is Palm Sunday. So we're going to be looking today in the book of John. So where I'd like to draw your attention to a couple passages of Scripture today. John chapter 12, uh, starting in verse... 12, and then flip back and put your finger or a mar marker on Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 9. The book of John, starting in Verse uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 12, it says, on the, on the next day, a great crowd that had come to the, to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, having found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. The crowd went and met him for this reason. They heard that he had performed the sign, the, this sign. So the Pharisees and said among themselves, See, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has followed him. Father, thank you for this word. I pray that you would bless and minister to us through this word. Give us understanding. Give us knowledge into your presence, into your, into your character. And Lord, we thank you for that. Be with us now as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. So Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Many people witnessed this miracle. And while Jesus had, had done this miracle, and they realized Jesus is not just a man. So he, he was, they were beginning to understand who he was a little bit. He was, not, he was not understanding he was the Messiah at that point, but he was a true prophet, a true uh, uh, miracle worker. Uh, and so they went there to him, see what he was going to do. So they met him when he was coming on the into the, into the town with, on a colt. 
screaming out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now you do, I do realize, and we do, we have to think about the fact, and Ralph had brought this up that this morning in Sunday school, that during this time they didn't have the New Testament. We have the New Testament now. They didn't have it then, so they had the Old Testament. And so those that were able to read it and to understand it were, had, had remembered these, this prophecy. And this prophecy is found in, in Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9, it says a little bit of it here. Then Jesus, having found a young donkey, sat on it, for it is written, Fear not, daughters of Zion, see your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So let's go back to Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. I only got one marker, so I got to be very creative on how I do this. And we're going to read verse 9 all the way down the end of the chapter to get complete context. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and cry aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and able to deliver. He is humble and riding on a donkey, a colt, the offspring of a donkey. So we've got to look at the character of Jesus in this point in time because if we look at the character of Jesus in the New Testament, it says some things specific about the one who is the king of Jerusalem, the king of Zion. He, it says that he is, he is able to, live, to deliver. He is humble and riding on a donkey, the colt of a donkey, the offspring of a donkey. Jesus was not a proud person, was he? He was humble in heart. He was... Um, not a proud person. They were expecting Jesus when this was happening in the book of John and in, the, in Luke and Matthew and Mark. When this was happening, they were expecting this king was going to be one who was going to come and deliver them from their oppression by force. And that is not what the purpose of Jesus' coming was. That's why we see in the coming week weeks and the, the events of this week, that's why we see the betrayal of the Jewish people, because they're disappointed. They are, they are uh, angered because they, he isn't doing what they expected. It says here that he was humble riding on a donkey. I will cut, see, here's what it says. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the bow for battle with, will be cut off. The bow for battle will be cut off. He will speak peace to the nations. And his dominions will be from the sea to another, from, from, sea, from one sea to another. And from the great river to the ends of the earth. Think about that. They, when you're reading this and you have the mindset of this triumphant king, you're not seeing all of this. What you're seeing is, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of battle will be cut off. You're seeing that. You're seeing a forceful um, king. You're seeing a forceful um, person who is going to take this. And he says, and then it says, he will, but they, they probably didn't think to mention, he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from 
one seed to another. So he's going to rule forever, rule all the, the whole area. And he's going to speak peace to the nations. So they're seeing this great king who's going to fix everything. Well, we've got some major stuff going on here. But uh, we've, we've got some things to think about here when it comes to this. They're seeing this great king who is going to deliver them by force. And that's not what this says. They misinterpreted the scripture. He will be from one sea to the other and from the great river to the ends of the earth. So all of it. He's going to rule all of it. And they're seeing this, they're seeing Jesus as this mighty ruler, this mighty king who is going to deliver them, is going to set up his kingdom and rule and reign over the, the Romans. He goes on in Zechariah. And as for you, because of the blood of your covenant, I will send your prisoners from the empty waterless pits. Return to your stronghold prisoners who now have hope. See the deliverance there? It's a picture of prisoners who have no hope. Go back to your strongholds. Go back to your places of safety and regain your hope. See, they're seeing this this whole understanding of being in bondage and then being set free and having hope. And then it goes on. Today I declare that I will return to you a double portion. Again, they're seeing this as um, tangible things. Double portion. Because I have bent Judah as my bow and fitted the bow with Ephraim, I will stir up your sons, O Zion, and your sons, O Greece. I will set you, set you like a sword of a warrior. So they're getting built up into thinking, we're going to be this mighty race. We're going to be this mighty army against Rome. We're going to conquer. We're going to rule. We're going to rule under this mighty king. So think about what they're, what they're thinking when Jesus is walking, riding in on a donkey. These are things they're thinking. Oh my goodness, we're going we're gonna to rule and reign by force. And that wasn't the case. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go out like lightning. The Lord God will sound his trumpet and will march forth like storm, like storm winds of southern Timon. The Lord of hosts will project them and they will devour, uh, protect them, and they will de devour up and subdue them with stone slingers. And they will drink and make noise with wine, as with wine. They will be filled with blood as a bowl saturated like the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will deliver them that day like the flock of his people. For like jewels embedded in a crown, they will shine in his land. For how great is the goodness and how great is his beauty. 
there will be a grain for the for young there will be a will be grain for the young men and new wine to prosper the young women so this speaks of victory victory complete victory that they will get from this new king Jesus walking in to fulfill that prophecy writing in to fulfill that prophecy this is what they're thinking about this kind of victory tangible physical victory over their oppressors of that day but we know as we read the story we'll go on to study this this progression of time that is not what occurred Jesus did by fulfilling the prophecy go on by a donkey to save them but not how they wanted not how they thought and so by friday of this week or that week everything changes in the hearts and lives of these people he wasn't doing everything that they thought he would do he wasn't setting up a kingdom he wasn't putting their oppressors to death. He wasn't conquering anything. He wasn't setting them up to be warriors. Cuz that wasn't the purpose. His war he was waging against the the oppression was not the oppression at the moment. It was the eternal oppression of the spiritual realm. Victory and freedom was not tangible, was not made for the tangible in this moment. It was for the spiritual. And in John, he go, they go on and they talk about this some more. His disciples, verse 16 once again, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So they had remembered Zechariah 9. They had remembered these things. They saw it in a different light because they were close to him. You know, it's like when we're, when we're with someone and we, we know them more than, uh, for an example, let's just use an example, is my family. My extended family, not my, not down there, but my extended family. I know my brothers better than you guys know my brothers. And so something that, that I might say would be different, taken differently from you than would be taken for them, you know. Um, anything, let's just say anything. So they're, they're close to Jesus. So they're taking this differently than those who are, not, who are not close. They're followers, but they're not the chosen 12 that are sit with him. So they take it a little differently. Verse 17, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb when raised him from the dead bore witness. Again, they bore witness to this. These miracles of this miracle of Jesus. He can raise the dead. So if he can do that, he can definitely conquer Rome. He can set up a kingdom and rule and reign without a problem. If he has victory over death, that's the greatest enemy, isn't it? Death is the greatest enemy we all have to overcome. Jesus overcame it. In this picture of Lazarus being raised from the dead and then his resurrection 
on Easter morning. He overcame the greatest enemy that there ever is, and that's death. And so they're thinking to themselves, if he can overcome death by raising Lazarus, he can overcome Rome, who at that point in time was a very, very vicious, very powerful nation. And the Jewish people and, and these at that time, they were a nation, but they were not they were far less powerful than Rome. And the thinking there is if Jesus can overcome the greatest enemy, which is death, he can overcome Rome. He can set up his kingdom. He can set up, uh, make us warriors, and we can fight against Rome, and we can subdue them, and we can, we can have victory. Well, he wasn't talking about that kind of victory. And then it says, uh, verse 18, the crowd went and met him for this reason. They heard that he had performed this sign so it's all a buzz around Jerusalem. The crowd that was there, they did exactly Jesus told what Jesus told them not to do in years past. I'm going to do this for you, but don't go say anything. Remember, he said that to that one, that one person that he healed. He said, keep this to yourself. Go show yourself to the priest and keep this to yourself. Well, guess what? He didn't. He went and told everybody. So these people went out and told everybody, so it's all a buzz. Jesus can conquer death. He just wrote, made a dead man rise from the tomb. So if he's that powerful, he can certainly conquer Rome. Now, so the Pharisees said among themselves, see, you are, gain you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has followed him. Now, we understand that Jesus was a, the bane of the existence of the Pharisees because he up, upturned the apple cart at every turn. They didn't like him because he was, he was stomping all over their profit margins and their things. They were subduing the people to a sense, too. They were holding the people back to a sense, too. Jesus came and broke that. And what is their response? They don't see Jesus as the Messiah. They don't see Jesus as the one who's going to deliver Israel, even from Rome. But they see him as a problem. Look, all the people are following him now. They're not looking to us. We're losing power. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were also a powerful unit in Rome. And Jesus was stripping away the power, not only from Rome, but from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he was ripping it away. It says, look, the world has followed him. So that began the plot. That began the plot. We cannot have our, our uh, influence tainted. We cannot have, we, we, we must not lose power. So thus began the plot to frame Jesus. And Judas was the one to start that off. 
Jesus, as we will see in the coming weeks, as we look at the response of the people from one Sunday, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They're praising him, they're shouting his name, they're cheering for him with a mindset of victory over their enemies. By that Friday, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. What changed? What changed in their heart? Jesus didn't do what they wanted. Jesus didn't raise up and conquer. He did in a real way. He did in a more tangible way than they realized when he conquered death. But in their eyes, they were wanting victory over their enemies. And he did not deliver that to them because they did not really know the scriptures. Which begs the question, how much do we really know the scriptures? How much do I know the scriptures? I'm going to sit here and tell you, I'm going to be honest, I, I struggle with the Old Testament. It's been a long time since I've read some of the stories that we are going through in the Old Testament in Sunday school. It's been a long time. So I struggle with those things. And it has given me a fervor to look into the Old Testament again and study the Old Testament, which is a good thing. And I, I really like the way Ralph teaches Sunday school because it brings you into thought, into thinking. You see, how much do we know the scriptures? The Pharisees and the Sadducees were readers of the law. They were studiers of the word, but how much did they really know? And there's a difference between reading and knowing. There's a difference there. It's like when somebody says, well, I know who Jesus is. Yeah, but do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know he was. But no, do you know him? That's, what, that's, that's the difference. Same with the scriptures. They had read the Old Testament. They studied the Old Testament. But did they really know it? Did they really know it? I think people in ages past and ages in the future, as long as Jesus doesn't come back at that any, anytime soon, will read the scriptures and apply it to their life for that moment, for what they need. And that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. They were applying it for what they felt they needed to do. And that's not really knowing it. That's not really knowing the scripture. That's that's just reading it for the purpose of reading it. Or I like to say, reading it for academia. But studying the Word. Getting into the Bible. Getting into the Spirit of God. Right now we have access to the greatest teacher to ever live, and that's the Holy Spirit. To teach us about the Word of God. To teach us about this 66 books in one volume that that it's hard to understand some of the Old Testament stories and the Old Testament things. We're in the book of uh, Numbers. No, we're not in Numbers. We're, we just finished Deuteronomy and in our Bible reading plan. And let me tell you what, when, once you get from 
Exodus, you got Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You ever read those three books? I haven't in a long time until this year, and I'll tell you what, it's, a, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand, but we have access to the greatest teacher in the world to guide us through those hard things. The Pharisees read the scriptures and applied it to their own agenda. What is our agenda? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we understand it? Why do we try to understand it? You know? Today's day and age, it's important to read and understand the Bible for what the Bible says. You've got all kinds of things going on in the realm of spirituality that is nonsense. Nonsense. You've got to read and understand the scriptures. And this is what the Pharisees failed to do. This is what the people that were shouting his name failed to do. They read it, they, they, they knew the prophecy, but they didn't really know the prophecy, the one that the prophet was about, the, the, the prophecy was about. You read about Jesus' ministry, and everybody followed him wherever he was going. Why? Because, yes, he had wonderful teachings and taught with authority, but in some cases, they, they would get fed food. They get fed food, so they follow where the food is, you know? And those are things that even today still is an issue for some people. You ever have, you ever have, uh, I remember years ago in churches that I've been in, we would have attendance really go up when we had meals. Remember one time we had Wednesday night, family night with a meal and games. Boy, we'd have, we went from, six people to 50 people in three weeks. And then when the food stopped, because we didn't have any money, because we wouldn't take collections on Wednesday nights, we should have probably, but we wouldn't take collections on Wednesday nights. And when the money was gone for the food, we we're back down to six people after three weeks because the food was gone. Unfortunately, in this day and age, a lot of the people that followed Jesus didn't follow for the miracles. These that we're talking about here in this did, but some of them followed for the food. Remember, Jesus dealt with that, and he said, you're, you're, you're doing this because you want your belly full. You're just following me because you want to eat. You want food. So why do we read what we read? Why do we do that which we do? Why? is a great question. Do we study the word to be able to debate with anybody else? It's not what it's for. That's what the Pharisees were studying for too, to be able to debate and to see who was wrong. That's what they did with Jesus. He's wrong. Oh my goodness, he called himself the, 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 the son of man, son of God. Oh my goodness, he's wrong. Let's tear our clothes rent our clothes. Blasphemy. They didn't see it for what it was. Do we see it for what it is? Do we see this week, this triumphal entry week, the Easter week, for what it is? Our victory, not over our oppressors, but over the greatest enemy we ever had, which is death. 
Do we see it as that? Do we see it as that? I don't like the prospect of death. I don't. The thought of death doesn't frighten me. I just don't like the process. But I have a knowledge that if I follow Jesus Christ and I really work, walk with him in a real way, that I will wake up on the other side. Victory will be mine. Then, over there. We can have victory here because Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. Every prophecy ever written about him, Jesus fulfilled it. And this is one of the greatest ones because he bring us, brings us victory over sin and death in this prophecy. Do we really know it? Do we really know him? They didn't know him. Jesus wept over Jerusalem around this time in his ministry. Remember he said, oh, Jerusalem, I wish I could have just gathered you under my wing like a mother chick gathers her mother chicken and gathers her chicks. He knew they didn't know him. He knew they didn't know who he was. He knew they didn't know the real reason, the real prophecy. He knew that. And he, he knew where they were coming from, what they were wanting. What do we want out of Jesus? What do you want out of Jesus? Victory over temporal things or eternal victory over death? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. So what, do we, what can we do this week? Today is Easter, Palm Sunday, so we've got... Easter, we've got Monday, we've got Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. What, what are we going to do all this week? I pray that you study this week in Scripture. I pray that you look at it. I pray that you study it. I pray that you, you internalize it to know what it's really about. Put it against the lens of total victory over sin and death and it will revolutionize the way you see this week. So that's my challenge. This is what I do every holy week, every year. I begin at John chapter 12 or Mark chapter 11 or, or the other two gospels. I look at one of those and I begin to study the processes of that week and what happened to the mindsets of the people through that week and why it happened. And you look into the Old Testament and you look into the prophecies and you look into the things that brought about this about Jesus and you study those things and you get a real picture of the true meaning of the Gospels, the true meaning of the Bible as a whole. So that's my challenge for you this week. Do that. Study that. It'll bless you. Amen. It'll bless you. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your peace. Thank you, Lord, that you are obedient to the Father's will by being our sacrifice on the cross. 
Father, minister to us and bless us by your Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to see the real story in the scriptures, to understand the real reason for your death and resurrection and all the, all the uh, instances and circumstances leading up to that. Father, bless us and minister to us today and this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's focus this week on Jesus, the sacrifice he made many times in Scripture. Many, well, especially the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have just left and went his own way. He didn't want to do it. Lord, if this cup could be taken from me, take it from me. But yet he said, not my will, but yours. He had an opportunity to, to walk away many times, but he didn't. And so that is a testament to his faithfulness to us. And it's wonderful to know that he loved us that much, knowing that he would suffer, that he stayed the course. And as the Bible says, King James says, set his face like flint for the city of Jerusalem. Praise God for that. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he turn his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.